Well, good morning. I'm going to save my special for next week <laughs> during the second service. Um, <clears throat> it was good to see uh, so many people here today. Um, I, I, we need to start off with a, a little bit of uh, sad news. Um, I know a lot of us have been praying for the uh, Junior Johnson. Uh, he passed away this uh, week. Uh, I'm sorry, Campbell, I'm sorry, Junior Campbell. Um, we've been praying for him this, uh, for the last several weeks. Um, he passed away earlier this week. Um, we went to the uh, viewing on Friday and uh, spoke to some of the family. So continue to keep the family in your prayers. Uh, continue to lift them up. Um, we also have uh, a reason to celebrate this week. Uh, Virginia and Cecil celebrated their 60th uh, anniversary on uh, Friday. Is that right? On Friday. So, um, in, uh, to honor that, I, I've put together a 60-point sermon <laughs> on the foundations of marriage. We've been married six years, right? Six years? Almost six years. So, a tenth. And that flew by, so we, we, should, we should get 60. I think I'll be 117. Uh, if, if I, my math is right, um, but uh, we congratulate them, and, and um, it's, it's an amazing, uh, amazing thing. Uh, we're going to be in Second Kings today. We can go back to the Old Testament, Second Kings, and we'll be in chapter six. Second Kings chapter six, verses one through seven. We got a short one here today. Um, and once you find it, if you would, uh, if you're physically able, we ask that you would stand for the reading of God's word. Second Kings chapter six, starting at verse one. The word of God says, "And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us.'" Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, go. And one said, please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. Verse four. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water and he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and threw it in there. And he made the iron float. Therefore he said, Pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for bringing us back together into your house. It's always a wonderful day to be in your house to worship you. Lord, I just pray that you would speak to us today. Um, allow us to feel your presence, Lord. Allow these words to be yours and not mine. I just pray that uh, you would speak to us today as your servants are listening. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right. I love this story. I, I, it's, um, 
it, it, it's a beautiful story that I think gets overlooked so often amongst uh, all the miracles that we see in the Bible. Um, so what I'd like to do, I want to break this down verse by verse before we, we, we get into uh, the points today. Uh, what we see in verse 1, it says, And the sons of the prophets of Elisha said, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small. Now, Elisha had started these schools for prophets. He had at least four that we know of. He had one in Gilgal and Bethel and Ramah, and this one is in Jericho. So he has these school for prophets, and this particular school has grown to the point where they no longer fit into this building. It's no longer comfortable for them in this building. And the student comes to him and says, we would like to build a larger school. And I believe this tells us something about the nature and the attitude and the personality of Elisha. There's a saying in teaching that the students don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think that the way that this school has grown, outgrown their current living situation, I think says a lot about the teacher. It says a lot about Elisha. And you can picture a man that truly cares and has a great deal of passion for teaching and sharing the word of God with his pupils. Verse 2 says, please, this is the student speaking, please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, go. So these students actually want to go out and build a new school. These are young people that actually want to do something that will further their education. And it seems strange to us today because when we think about students and kids in school, we don't think of that kind of passion for learning. We think of kids saying, oh, the teacher doesn't like me. Uh, I, I hate school. It's too hard. The, the, these grades, are, the, the poor grades are hurting my self-esteem. We, we don't think of actually wanting to take an axe and go cut down trees and build a school, put in the elbow grease that it takes to become a, uh, a good student. But these students said, let's go chop down some trees and build a bigger school because there's too many of us. So Elisha tells them, go. In verse 3, one of the, it says, one said. He's speaking to several students. So this isn't just one student that's saying, this is what we need to do. This is a group. This is a community of, uh, of students. It says, then one said, please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. This shows us how the students truly felt about Elisha. They asked him to go with them to build this school. And Elisha told him he would go. How many students today would ask their teacher to join them in anything outside of school? Not, not, not many. You, you wouldn't have too many students say, oh, well, I'm going to the zoo. I'd love to bring my science teacher with me to tell me more about it. They don't want to do that. I, I, I've been a PE teacher for, I don't know, around nine, ten years I've never had a student invite me to go to a ball game. Students don't want to hang out with the teacher outside of school. 
But So this tells us something about Elisha. These students wanted him there. They, they, they were drawn to him, and they wanted him to be a part of it. So Elisha says he will go. Verse 4. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. Elisha agreed to go with them because he is an encourager. He went to encourage his students. But he's also not afraid to get his hands dirty for the work of God. Now we come into the problem, the, 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 the situation in verse 5. It says, but as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. So one of the students is cutting down the tree with his axe. He's just chopping away at these trees. And as he's swinging the axe, the head of the axe flings off and lands in the Jordan River. This might not seem like a big deal to us today, because... This is something that if it happened, we can go down to Lowe's or Home Depot or probably even Walmart and pick up a new axe or axe head for 30 or 40 bucks. But at this time, it was a very big deal. Iron workers were very rare in this time. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, I'm going to read two verses, 19 and 22. It says, now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. So they wouldn't allow there to be blacksmiths in, in, in Israel because they didn't want them to, to be able to create weapons. All right. So they're about to go into battle. This is uh, uh, Jonathan and Saul are about to go into battle with their men. And verse 22 says, So it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan, but they were found with Saul and Jonathan, his son. So they're going into battle. An army is going into battle, and only two people have swords. They were very rare. It was rare to have a blacksmith in your town that, that, that could build such a thing. And, and so he borrowed this axe, and it was lost. He lost the axe head. So you can imagine how valuable this must have been. And not only was, it, was the tool rare, but it was borrowed. Have you ever, have you ever borrowed something because you couldn't afford to buy one on your own, and, and, and it broke? That's an awful, awful feeling. I, I, years ago, I had a, a Dodge Durango that I loved. It was a big SUV. And I, I lent it to somebody. And uh, I got a phone call maybe 20 minutes after they borrowed it. It said, uh, the engine blew. Turns out they were going down the bypass in second gear because that, that little red line doesn't, didn't quite make it to the, the, the drive. And, and I asked her, I said, well, what was going on? She said, well, the RPMs, it, was, it, was, it wouldn't go. She said, I had, the foot on, I had my foot on the, the gas all the way to the floor, and it, was just, it just wouldn't go. It was just the RPMs were revving real high, and I, it just wouldn't take off. And then finally it just, loud bang, and all the, all the pistons, everything just blew in it. Um, so I can imagine how she felt not being able to replace my motor. 
But while I'm paying for the motor, I had to borrow my dad's truck. And while I'm borrowing my dad's truck, I go to back out of a parking space, and I hear a loud pop. And I think, oh, no, I ran over a nail or something busted the tire. So I get out, I walk around, and, and, and the bolts that hold the tire on, there are only two left. They had been snapping off this whole time. So even though it wasn't my fault, I still felt responsible. I still felt guilty. I still felt bad that something that somebody loaned me was broken. Well, this man had something probably in this day much more valuable than a tire. And uh, it broke off. Now, this wasn't something that, that, that was rare, though. Because we find in the Mosaic Law in Deuteronomy, I'm hopeful that I have it marked. Deuteronomy, otherwise I'll find it. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 4 and 5 says, And this is the case of the manslayer who flees there. He's talking about a city where, of, of refuge, where, where, where somebody could go to be saved, to, to, to um, avoid retribution. It says, and this is the case of the manslayer who flees there, that he may live. Whoever kills his neighbor unintentionally, not having hated him in past time. As when a man goes to the woods with his neighbor to cut timber, and his hand swings a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, and the head slips from the handle and strikes his neighbor so that he dies. He shall flee to one of these cities and live. So if they actually had to put a law in Deuteronomy, this is not something that was rare. This was not something that happened once and they thought, well, we better make a law to uh, pr protect somebody. This happens. It happens in this day and age. They didn't have the technology that we have today that might keep the axe head on there. I don't care how good your blacksmith is. It, well, maybe there's a really good blacksmith. But Today they just forge them. They, they have a, an imprint. They just stamp a new one. And it's perfectly weighted. And they, it gets put on the axe head much stronger than they could have done in these days. So the axe head flies off the handle and lands in the Jordan River. Verse 6. So the man of God, this is Elisha. He said, where did it fall? And he showed him the place. So he cut a stick and threw it there. And made the iron float. Again, here we see Elisha's heart. He didn't have to care about it. He, didn't, he, didn't, it, it, he wasn't the one that borrowed it. He wasn't going to face any problems with it. it. It was this young man's problem. But Elisha saw the distress that it caused this young man. And he wanted to do something about it. And God is like that with us. Things that happen in our lives that, that, that others may see as insignificant, they matter to God. If it matters to us, it matters to him. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 says, For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and hope. He cares about our feelings. He cares about the little insignificant things that happen to us because they're not insignificant to us. He loves us. So Elisha, he grabbed a stick and asked the student, where, where did it go in? He had to ask the student where it went in because he couldn't see it. The Jordan River is a very muddy river. So once anything goes below the surface of the water, it's gone. You can't see it. You can't find it. It's just gone. So the student points out 
where it had fallen in, and Elisha throws a stick in that spot. And the iron, the iron axe head floated to the top like a cork. It, now, like, like I said, this wasn't one of those, those big, awe-inspiring um, uh, miracles that we see throughout the Bible with, with, with Sarah conceiving in, in, in her old age, with Moses parting the, the, the Red Sea. Uh, th- this wasn't God feeding the Israelites manna from heaven. It wasn't like that. It wasn't Jonah in the belly of a giant fish. This wasn't Daniel sleeping with the lions. This wasn't Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walking around in the fiery furnace and coming out and not even a hint of the smell of smoke on their garments. This wasn't the birth of Jesus. This wasn't like Jesus walking on water. This was simply a floating piece of metal. But to this young man, it meant more than you and I could ever know. And I think this is a good lesson for us. Don't Hold back any of your prayers because you think they're insignificant. James uh, chapter 4 verse 2 tells us that we do not have because we do not ask. Phil, uh, Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says, Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. With thankful hearts, offer up your prayers and requests to God. We are to go to God with all of our needs, all of our desires. We, we, we need to speak to God. So in verse 7, it says, Therefore he said, pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. Elisha tells him to reach out for himself. Picture this. When I think of that, I, think, I, I picture this young man standing next to Elisha just in awe. Just standing there thinking, I was going to have to go tell this man that I lost this, this valuable piece, uh, 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 this valuable tool. And, and he's dreading it. And, and, and he cries out to Elisha. And Elisha throws that stick in. And he just sees this piece of metal float to the surface. I just picture him looking at it thinking, this is a miracle of God. And he can't move. He can't speak. He can't do anything. And Elisha says, well, go pick it up. Pick it up for yourself. I'm not going to do it. You do it. So I, I want to take a look at, at, at three things I think we can take away from this miracle. The first, when we lose our axe head or, or, or lose the sharpness of our axe head, we lose our effectiveness for the kingdom of God. Think about when you first came to Christ and you, when you were first saved. You wanted to absorb everything that, that, that you could get your hands on, right? You were on fire for the Lord. You went to church every time the doors were open. You bought the biggest Bible you could find, right? You, you started a, a Bible reading plan. You were going to get through that whole thing in six months and then do it again. You're going to go through twice in a year. You were tithing. You started reading books by Christian authors. You started listening to Christian music. You couldn't get enough of Jesus. I, I heard this story about these, these two lumberjacks. One, young lumber, one lumberjack was young. He was in his early 20s, and um, he sees his older uh, lumberjack, been do, doing it for 30 years, and 
he said to the older lumberjack, I, I want to have a competition with you today. I want to see by the end of the day who can chop down the most trees. And he was very confident, knew he was bigger and stronger and younger than this older man. So they start at 6 a.m., and they're cutting down trees. And by lunchtime, the young guy has a monstrous lead over the older gentleman. The older gentleman, though, every time he cuts down a tree, after every tree he falls, he would sit down and sharpen his axe. He chopped down a tree, take a rest, sharpen his axe. Meanwhile, this young man was just going to town. He, he was just swinging his axe, chopping as many trees down as he could. By the end of the day, though, the older gentleman had cut down twice as many trees as the younger. The, so the young man said, well, how, how did you do this? How, how did you cut down so many more trees? I'm stronger. I'm faster. I, 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 I'm younger than you. I should be able to cut down more trees. He said, you're swinging with a dull axe. When we let our axe head become dull, we, it loses its effectiveness. When we let our axe head, our, 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 our fire that we have inside become dull for God, we, stop lose, we start losing our effectiveness for the kingdom of God. You see, when you're staying in the Word, when you're staying in prayer, when you're constantly trying to draw closer to God, you're that lumberjack who, who, who keeps sharpening his axe head. You are keeping yourself sharp. You're being effective for the kingdom. And God can use someone like that. He can put you in situations where, where, where because you're there, he can be glorified. He could put somebody in front of you that is lost and know that, 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 that you, he can trust you to share the word of God, share the gospel with somebody because you've stayed sharp. You've stayed on fire. You've stayed in the word and you're close to him. But what happens far too often is we allow ourselves to become dull. We stop pursuing that sharpening stone. That's when you, when you hear people say things like, well, I've been saved a lot longer than him. How come he's teaching a Sunday school class? Right? Or, or, or I've been a member of this church way longer than she has. How come she's leading up that program? It doesn't have anything to do with how long you've been saved or, 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 or how long you've been part of a church. What matters is you're doing the things necessary to be effect, an effective instrument for God. Number two, what happens when we lose that cutting edge? We need to recognize where we lost it. Take a look at what happened to this young man. Right? He's chopping down the tree. He loses the axe head. It flies out into the Jordan. And he cried out and explained to Elisha that it had been barred. And Elisha asked him, where did you lose it? So he was able to point out where it was. Now, where did you lose it can be a very difficult question for a lot of Christians. I, lo I love playing golf. I, I, 
it, it's, it, I love just getting out on the course for four hours and relaxing. Well, mo- most of it's relaxing and, and hitting the golf ball around. Um, but once every few holes, I hit a ball so bad, I don't even bother watching where it's going. It, it, it's, it, it, it's so, I, and I can just feel in my swing and when I make contact, that it's going to be an awful shot, and I don't want anything to do with it. So I stop watching it. But when I do that, I don't see where it goes. I've lost that ball, right? And, and it could be a lot of different things that, that have caused me to make such a bad shot. Maybe I'm not standing the proper distance between me and the ball, or, or I don't swing with a consistent speed. Maybe I don't keep my head down and I look up. Or I don't choose the right club for the distance and, and, and the condition. So what I have to do is determine what I did. What, what was it about my swing that I did wrong? And then I have to fix it on my next shot. Otherwise, it's just going to keep getting worse and worse. And my day is going to keep getting bad. It's going to go from bad to worse. And it's the same situations with Christians. If we lose our cutting edge, we become ineffective in our ability to further the kingdom. We need to recognize that where it was along the road, along our walk with God, where we lost our cutting edge. So how do we lose our edge? When we aren't in the word, when we stop coming to church, when we stop praying like we should, when we stop seeking God and desiring to know him more, we lose that cutting edge. We lose our sharpness. And what I like about this story was not only did he know where he lost it, but just the fact that he knew he lost it. Because you'll have a lot of Christians out there just swinging uh, uh, their handle. Axe head gone, they're just swinging their handle. Can't figure out why they're not being effective anymore. can't figure out why they don't feel closer to God. It's because they've lost their effectiveness. They, 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 there's something about their walk with God that has fallen off to the point where God can't use them. So our first step is we need to recognize that we've lost our edge. And then we need to recognize where we lost it. What are we doing wrong? What, what, what part of the equation, what part of the recipe are, are, are we leaving out? What needs to change to get us back to where uh, we were when we were first saved, when we first felt that fire, when we first wanted to just tell everybody about Jesus? We need to find out what, what did we lose and how do we get that back? I, I, I want to... Um, Shift gears a little bit for this third point. I want to go back to something I said last week. Uh, Your life is not your own. I I told you that last week that uh, we were looking at the the thieves that that, that were crucified on the cross next to Jesus. And um, we talked about how we are thieves, right? If we're living for ourselves, we, we took this body. God gave us his body. We took it. If we're living for ourselves, we're not living for him. We're just as bad as those thieves that were on the cross. Well, 
That's where I, I kind of want to pick up with this third point. It, it, your soul is not yours. It's on loan to you, and you are responsible for it. So the third point is, we need to take responsibility for our souls. I want you to look at the, the axe head in this story as, as if it were your soul. Okay? That was the borrowed instrument, right? And our souls are what we borrow from God. So uh, when we, our souls borrowed from God and we're responsible for what happens in the long term with that soul. Just like the iron, um, its nature is to fall. Right? I know my nature is to sin. Your nature is to sin. That, that, that's who we are. Um, it, it, it's what separated us from God in the first place. So our soul, uh, the soul on loan to me from God is lost, sunk at the bottom of the Jordan. It's not until I cry out, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. I, I need to recognize that what I have is not my own, that it's borrowed from God, and I need to cry out to God and, and acknowledge that fact. Recognize that you can't save yourself. He couldn't get that iron head back by himself. He needed to cry out. Only God can save us. One of the things I, I love most about the scripture is, is what we see here from Elisha. After hearing his pupil cry out, he made a way for this man to reclaim what was lost, right? He made a way for this man to reclaim his axe head. And this is exactly what God has done for us. Humanity wasn't always lost. It became lost with that first sin in the Garden of Eden, right? And once that happened, God had to make a way for us to be reconnected to him. So he provided a way for us to be saved. He did this by sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, to pay our sin debt. So look what Elisha does. He created a way for this young man to retrieve what was lost, but the student needed to pick it up. He wasn't forced to pick it up. Elijah didn't make him pick it up. He could have left it there. He could have said, wow, that, that, that was amazing. I'm just going to leave it there, and I'm going to go, go on five. I'm going to take my break. But that's not what he did. And God has provided you a way for you and I to be saved. But he's not going to force us to take it. Do you know where the Jordan River empties out into? Anybody know? The Dead Sea. The Dead Sea. Anything that falls into the Jordan River and is not rescued, is not brought back out, ends up in the Dead Sea, where nothing grows, where there is no life. And that's what happens to us. If we are not saved, if we are not brought back out of the darkness that would be the Jordan River, if we're not brought back, if we're not saved, if we don't take that opportunity, that's where we end up, the Dead Sea where everything is dead, where nothing lives, nothing survives. But God has offered us life if we're just willing to reach out and take it. So I encourage you today, if your blade has become dull, sharpen it. If you lost it, recognize it 
admit it, and figure out where you lost it. And lastly, your soul is borrowed, and you have accountability when it comes to its final destination. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much for, for all of your many blessings, but, but especially sending your son to die on the cross for our sins, Lord. I just pray that we would be strong enough to, to reach out to those that, that maybe don't know the, uh, the power of your salvation, to, to, to recognize that they can have what we have, to, to have life after this life. Lord, we, we love you so much, and we're just so grateful for all that you've done in our lives. I pray that we will continue to try and draw closer to you and, and do the things that we need to do to stay effective for the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray that you will watch over us, keep us safe, happy, healthy, and mostly please allow us to feel your love and, and share that love with others. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.